But at the end of the day, I've got a scorecard. I'm keeping track and, and measuring how well I'm doing over a period of time. And if my trajectory is getting better, then I am adding business value. And that's the mindset that I think that organizations will start to adopt or have already started adopting as they make the shift from IT to engineering. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go, and welcome again to 2022. Each new year, InterVision asks some of the key thought leaders on the staff to make predictions about the next year in technology. To kick off the fourth season of Status Go, we are interviewing those thought leaders so that we can go deeper than the soundbite. On this episode, I am joined by Dustin Milburn. Dustin is the field CTO of cloud services for InterVision. Today, we're going to talk about the what, the who, the why, the how of his predictions. Welcome back, Dustin. Hey, Jeff. Happy New Year. Glad to be back. Happy New Year, my friend. It is uh, it is good to talk to you and uh, excited to dive in today on uh, predictions. Those are always so much fun to, to make and then to talk about. So uh, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, me too. Well, you made one that might be a little provocative. So I really wanted to dive into this so that we can understand um, the who, what, why, where, and how of this of this prediction. But I'm going to summarize it because you, you wrote a very nice paragraph about this prediction. But it starts out by talking about organizations need to shift from an IT mindset to an engineering mindset, but not necessarily swap out people, but rather teach new skills that are needed and critical to leveraging the cloud. But then later on in this prediction, you wrap it up by saying, my prediction for 2022 and beyond is that organizations will begin to phase out corporate IT and leverage strategic solution providers for tactical tasks like service desk, unified communications, infrastructure, cloud services, those types of things. In turn, they will use the cost and the resource savings to retool and become engineering organizations strategically aligned to measurable business outcomes. So let's dig into that a, a little bit. I got to admit, as a as a former CIO, as I read that, I was I, I bristled a little bit. It was like, what you're telling me my my job's going away or my team's job's going away? So. Talk to us about what it is that you're talking about when you're talking about this transformation. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Um, boy, it sure sounded brilliant when I wrote it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's not brilliant. I'm just saying I bristled. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and in some cases, it was meant to be thought-provoking and maybe a little yeah. provocative because uh, I want to have a dialogue about this, and I'm glad that it jumped off the page enough for you to want to continue the dialogue. You'll recall back in, um, gosh, it's been what, about a year ago now, we did our first podcast together and yeah, it was on yeah. you know, the people process and tooling of the technology organizations. And 
I, I think that uh, we started with people because people are at the center of everything that we do. And, th- and that remains true to me. Yeah. You know, anybody who spent any time with me knows that I'm a people first person as well. And so um, as provocative as the comment is, it's intended on helping organizations start to think about not about whether or not your job will go away, but how do you retool for what yeah. uh, what's actually coming at you? You know, I've told this story to people before, Jeff. You know, I'm a classic car restoration enthusiast. My my current uh, project sitting in my garage is a '67 Mustang, and you know, Sweet. there's not a there's not an electronic circuit in the thing, right? Everything is mechanical in it, including the speedometer cable, which broke. And I tried to go online and buy one and all the tooling shops were out. And there's a guy here in, in Portland, Oregon, where I live, that all he does is make parts that go into mechanical dashboards. And so mm-hmm. I went to him and I said, hey, I need to get a, a speedometer cable for my 67 Mustang. And he said, yeah, uh, I can do that for you. No problem. I can make it for you. And he showed me his <laughs> warehouse and he has this 45,000 square foot warehouse down on the waterfront here, which is huge. And I said, well, and it was empty, right? And all there were were some lifts. And he goes, oh yeah, I just, I lease this space out for anybody who, who needs lift time with their car. Um, but all I do now is work on these, these make these parts. And I'm like, well, really? Seems like an awfully niche market. He goes, oh, but when I started 52 years ago, there were nine of us in Portland and I'm the only one left. So wow. I think that the, the the purpose of telling you this story is that organizations that want to continue on making speedometer cables have to think about the fact that they're going to have a very, very limited audience yeah. with whom they can uh, deliver their products and services, right? It's going to be guys yeah, like yeah. me or... Or they can transform themselves and start to think about, okay, maybe I need to get out of the speedometer business, but I, but I don't have to get out of the car business, right? And so I think the yeah, same thing yeah, is true yeah. for technology folks is, you know, skate to where the puck's going to be. Think about where the industry is going. Think about if what we're doing can be tied back to measurable business outcomes. And I think if the pandemic has taught us anything, right, being in the business of mounting WAPs in a building isn't particularly strategic right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So thinking about what are those products and services that my organization delivers that directly attach to what our key performance indicators are as an organization, that's where I want to get technology leaders to start thinking. Uh, and, And the other piece I'll add to this too is if you've read any of the articles that I've published or blogs that I've written, I'm very careful to leave the term IT out of it. And instead I say mm-hmm. technology organizations or technology yeah. leaders, because it's not about what the brand is that you put on your, your title or your organization. Right, it's right. more about the value that you deliver. And if you're in a technology first organization, it, it has to tie back to that business value. Otherwise yeah. you're not aligned with the rest of the org. That's a great point. In fact, we were talking uh, with Andy Harper from Southwest Key Programs on an episode of Status Go recently. And that was really his message also is he focuses on the business, right? And how can his team further the mission of the organization? And yeah, they still have some of the some of the bits and bytes that they have to manage, Right, because that's uh, that's part of the the role. But he really saw the role of the CIO of being that almost strategic business advisor uh, with that technology background, bringing that to solve business solutions. Is that is that kind of where you're we're driving this? 
Uh, it is. And I think, too, the successful technology leaders, CIOs, CTOs, VPs, whatever, wherever they are, whatever, it doesn't even matter. The successful leaders will not think of themselves as um, acting on the business. Instead, they will think of themselves as an integrated component of the business, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. I said this before that technology organizations have to think of themselves as part of the business as opposed to answering questions about the businesses ask me to do X. And in the, the, the kind of the lens that I put on that, Jeff, is that if you don't think you're part of the business, give your entire technology team a month off and see what happens. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, yes, I, I think it is. And to kind of go back to your initial bristling thought, you know, I, I, if we go back <laughs> 40 years ago, you know, if we had said to somebody, hey, you got to stop thinking about being the best punch card operator out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah. that you have to get out of technology. It's just that technology is going to evolve. And if you don't get out in front of it, then you're going to get run over by it. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's a that's a great way to look at it because I, I've got a few gray hairs and I started on punch cards and uh, it, it was funny. We were cleaning out one of the closets here in, in the house. Uh, over the holidays and uh, found a deck of Fortran punch cards that my wife used to write a program for uh, school at IU back in the day. So we both kind of took a trip down memory lane, but it, it, it's exactly that. Things continue to evolve. But, and, I, and I like some of the other points that you were making in this prediction. One of the things that you talked about was some changes that happened as a result of the pandemic. Uh, the increase in bring your own device. Can you can you talk a little bit about that and the impacts that that is going to have on the technology leaders? Yeah, you know, um, end user computing is an interesting thing for technology leaders to think about, uh, and, and probably the biggest problem that anybody is confronting in that uh, in that thought process is well, how do I secure it? Right, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. because th there's very little value in organizations going and finding. Uh, you know, a laptop provider or desktop provider, putting a company image on that, then shipping it out to their employees. And, you know, and, and inevitably the employees are going to complain about it. I don't like it. It's yeah. not my form factor. It's too heavy. I travel. The battery life sucks. The, the, the security information's in my way. Right. And so you've, you've listened on that, some help desk calls in your time. Right. Yeah. 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 And I may have placed one or two of them uh, as well. Yeah, right. So, yeah. so I, I think that 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 concept of, you know, how do I how do I protect that end user computing device? And, the, and then we've even seen it on the news. Right. I mean, government official leaves their laptop in the car. It gets taken and it's full of yeah. top secret spy stuff. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah whatever. The, and instead, we, we keep treating the symptoms that having the end user computing device that we support as technology organizations out into the wild, we, we keep treating the symptoms that those create, as opposed to saying, well, how do I need create the need or how do I even eliminate the need to, to have those problems in the first place, right? And so 
if you get to a point where you say, look, your end user computing device is just a mechanism for you to display whatever it is you're interacting with. I mean, we're almost going back to mainframe days yeah, now, yeah, right? Yeah. You turn your end user computing device into a dumb terminal that gives you access to the applications and data that you need to do your job. And then you leverage cloud-based resources to deliver those. You've eliminated a significant security issue. Right, um, and you right. get rid of the, the, the cumbersome worry of, did I did somebody leave their laptop in a in a car and it got broken into or what was on that laptop or what if an employee accidentally deleted critical data? Mm -hmm. If you've got a good backup strategy and if you've got a good cloud adoption strategy to address these, you can get rid of so many of those concerns. Right. I I think about it a lot like, you know, what's the best mousetrap to put in the building? Well, if you are thinking about how do you keep the rats out of the building or the mice out of the building, you don't need a mousetrap in the building. So yeah, yeah, same concept yeah. applies. Yeah. And you take it a little bit further with the this concept of bring your own device, which I love, by the way. I, I think it started in most companies with cell phones, right, rather than corporate dictated cell phones. And I love the fact that now it's creeping into the, to the laptop, the desktop or tablet, uh, whatever you're technology uh, of choice is, but you talked about the support organizations, the service desk call center, that during the pandemic, because our workforce has shifted to more digital natives, the, the load on the service desk is decreasing. Did I interpret that right? Yeah, I think so, right? I mean, it, <laughs> I, I'm even at the point now where when I need help with something on my desktop, I I, I call my 13-year-old son and ask him for help because he's going to be able to solve the problem faster than most of us could, even through research online. And so I do th think that that's true, right? The, the people that we're hiring in the workforce today grew up with technology as part of, not only part of their everyday lives, but you know it's in their curriculum. It's required for them to go to school. It's you know, it's part and parcel to everything that they do. And so that additional load, that that additional burden that goes on to help desks or, or service desks is, is definitely yeah, lessened. Yeah. Well, and you identify it as one of the areas for partnering, right? And you named it in the quote that I, that I read at the beginning of our discussion, you named several areas that might be ripe for outsourcing. Are you seeing... <laughs> We've been talking about outsourcing for, oh gosh, probably back to those punch card days. And now it seems like people and shops are doing this spot outsourcing where they take the service desk and they outsource it to one company and they do unified connect, uh, communications with another. Are you seeing that trend that the CIO becomes almost the broker of these services? Um, potentially, and I say that, yes, but with a big asterisk, right? Um, I think that organizations that will do it successfully will first start out and say, what are we in the business of doing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so if I work for Ford, I'm in the business of building the best cars in the market, yep. right? So if I am a technology leader at Ford, my job is to make sure that any products or services that my technology organization support or enhance our ability to build the best cars and sell the most cars. So with that, anything that I do from a technology perspective should be part of my core competency. If it's not part of my core competency and there are other organizations who it is part of their core competency, that to me is ripe for yeah, partnership, yeah, yeah. right? And so I think about... Um, 
I think about some of the mistakes organizations make, though, from, especially technology leaders is, well, I'm just going to outsource that. And somehow or another, thinking that by outsourcing the, the service desk, for example, that becomes somebody else's problem, mm-hmm. right? And, and the reality is that the best technology leaders will think about those organizations with whom they partner to deliver outsourced services are an extension yeah, of their yeah. organization, right? And and I think that that's where organizations like ours at Intervision, we we think about the the managed services that we provide, not as a standalone entity, and we don't have a one you know one size fits all that works for every customer for whom we support. We want to become an intimate, embedded component extension of the customers yeah. that we serve, and I think that 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 is incumbent on any technology leader to think in in those terms as they look for the right partner with whom they they uh, they go after. It's services. like creating an ecosystem of of partners, right? Yep. So I know yep. Dustin, you spend a, a lot of uh, your time focused on cloud and organizations' cloud journey. How does this prediction? tie in to organizations that are along somewhere along their cloud journey? Well, I would, I would wager that just about every organization is on at some phase of the cloud journey today. Um, You know, and so the need to look at services or partnership or outsourcing is going to vary depending on the maturity of the customer or the client or the organization and where they are on that journey, and also even how they came into the journey, right? I, I think you, know, you can go through Silicon Valley and you'll find a lot of organizations that were born in the cloud, right? And so they have, and, and they probably have a bunch of digital natives that are all working in tie-dye and Birkenstocks and doing their own development on their sofas in their Zen den, right? Those are not the ones that are even, they may not even need a help desk. Um, Where you've got other organizations that are bigger and more mature, think about media and entertainment providers, they've got a lot of infrastructure and support services around them. Um, However, they want to stick to their core competency. And I think that they look for opportunities to say, Hey, if somebody else can do this better, faster, and at a better, uh, higher value to my organization, I need to be thinking about that. And the mature technology leaders are making those mm-hmm. choices today. Yeah. So, but I think it, it really does depend. Back to the cloud thing, it depends on where they are on that journey and um, and how they entered that journey and how they measure value back yeah. out of the journey. Most of the conversations I have today are are really around. Well, why do you want to go to the cloud? And how are you going to measure the su- success of your yeah. cloud adoption? And if organizations can't answer those questions, then it's kind of like, well, let's let's rewind and let's let's see where we can tie that value back. Because if you don't know where the center of the target is, you'll never hit it. Right, right, right. Yeah. So when you talk to organizations like that, what are some of the reasons that you're hearing about why they want to move to the cloud? Where are some of the common <laughs> ones? Uh, well, or are they all over know, the board? <laughs> they, they, they are, but I, thematically, I can think of a, a few. Right? I mean, we we hear this term "cloud first" day mm-hmm. in and day out. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, I have had two customer calls this morning before you and I jumped on this call, and both of them had a cloud first strategy. Yes. And what's interesting is one of those two organizations has has yet to move one workload into the cloud, right. but they have a cloud first strategy. Yeah. Um, and so. I um, I think that, you know, what drives that is all over the map. Cost is a big driver, right? 
Um, quality is a big driver. Security is a driver. But those three things can also be detractors for the reason organizations adopt the cloud, which is interesting because if you just pick up what you've got in your data center today and move it exactly as it is into the cloud, you're probably not going to save any money, right? And you right. Di definitely didn't make it any more secure and you certainly didn't improve quality. So why go through that effort if you haven't thought about how you're going to improve your offering? Mm -hmm. So I think though, Organizations like AWS and Azure, it's not just the computing resources that they're bringing to bear that organizations consume. Um, because if, if that's all you're doing is consuming compute, then you're just leveraging somebody else's data center and the proposition is right. the value proposition is very low. So I think that most organizations, the things that are top of mind for them are that, that kind of trifecta of how do I look at cost, quality, and security and improve my posture in one or more of those? Uh, and how do I leverage the cloud to do that more effectively? Yeah, yeah. The other thing that you talked about in this prediction was this, this mindset shift. And I don't think we've, we've unpacked that yet. It's the IT mindset versus the engineering mindset. And I know you and I've had this conversation quite a bit. So what, what in your mind is that shift? What does that look like in a, in a team or a subset of a team? Well, I, I think a few things come to mind. First is, I, I look at, when I talk to organizations today, it is clear to me if I'm talking to a traditional IT uh, organization or I'm talking to an engineering organization. And, and the reason is there, there's some qualitative things about the organizations that just are very obvious in the way they engage, the way they speak, the way they, they behave uh, mm -hmm. in the work element. And I think traditional IT organizations, those that go after the technology that any organization would have, regardless of the business that they're in, right? So if you sell shoes or you build cars, you're going to need email. You're probably going to have wireless access points, right? You're going to need firewalls. And those. And, and we're not saying that those things aren't important in order to be tools that organizations leverage to do their day-to-day -day jobs. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you, can, you can do that yourself or hire somebody to do it. You're probably going to get the same level of quality yeah. in, in the yeah. end result. Um, where engineering teams think, or and I guess the other point I would make on the IT side too, is that they, they do those in support of the business. And I put air quotes around the business because they, they tend to not look at themselves as a critical component to the business, right. like we talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. And I think engineering teams embody that, that spirit of innovation, the art of what's possible as opposed to what is, and everything that they do is tying itself directly to business value. This is why organizations, especially engineering organizations, um, have have adopted this agile methodology, right? Agile preaches that we break our work down into the smallest, most valuable chunks, and then we, we assign points to them so that we can tie back and, and look not only as we move forward on what we will do, but looking backwards and say, did the work I do actually deliver the value I thought it would would when I when I came up with the idea? And so that that sense of accountability um, and shared success or or quick failure, learn from it and get better. That's what is really different in, in an engineering mindset. Um, it doesn't say that we don't take risks. It doesn't say, matter of fact, in many ways, it encourages risks 
more readily than an IT organization. Mm-hmm. And but it also creates an opportunity for those organizations to learn, continually evolve, and build on their success. Is it only limited to organizations that are building applications or for those organizations that are predominantly COTS, commercial off-the-shelf software, can they still have this engineering mindset? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, uh, agile, when I put things in terms of agile software development, there, there's kind of two components to, or two different ways really to drive agile that most organizations adopt, right? They, they either do scrum, mm-hmm. which lends itself really well to organizations that are doing um, software development or Kanban, right? And, 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 What's great about Kanban is it lends itself really well to more operationally focused organizations. You can still engineer new value proposition and innovate on what you deliver as a business value driver without writing a stitch of code. Mm -hmm. Now, consuming the cloud makes that a more dubious task because so much of uh, what we do and put into quality in cloud consumption comes from a code base that um, just for security reasons and for practicality reasons, it's just easier to do as code. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but that being said, there's no reason that a 100% on-premise organization couldn't adopt an agile methodology and mindset with the spirit of innovation that goes into an engineering organization mm-hmm. and drive that business value. It takes a bit of um, intestinal fortitude to be able to do that and, yep. and, and, and a level of risk because you're exposing yourself. You're you're measuring the work that you're doing, but by doing that, you get better. And I think that, you know, Agile talks about, you know, is a, uh, a push methodology. What am I going to push into the work I'm doing? Uh, Kanban is a pull methodology, but at the end of the day, I've got a scorecard. I'm keeping track and, and measuring how well I'm doing over a period of time. And if my trajectory is getting better, then I am adding business value. And that's the mindset that I think that organizations will start to adopt or have already started adopting yeah. as they make the shift from IT to engineering. And to, to summarize this prediction, what, what you're really focused on is this different way of thinking, this mindset, if you will, of looking at problems, looking at supporting the business in new ways. Right. I mean, I, I know I just oversimplified it, but but uh, that's really what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I, it is a different way of thinking. And as long as it is backed up with a different way of behaving. Good and point. so, Good point. yeah, I think a lot of organizations say, oh, well, we've got a DevOps team. Right. And, and the ironic part of that is DevOps was actually intended to break down silos. And if you've created a DevOps organization, you've yet created another silo. And and that's the ironic part. So really, it's about building a culture of success. Mm -hmm. And that culture is built predicated on behaviors and outcomes, right? And so if you say, we're going to behave this way, and you get the outcome you want, then you've got the successful culture that you're, you're at least on the road to building the culture you want. If you don't, don't be afraid to make change and change the behaviors yeah. um, where a lot of organizations get in trouble is they go, well, I've, I've mandated this behavior and now I'm afraid to make the change because I've said this is how we're moving forward. Well, it made sense at the time, but it's okay to change if you're not getting the results that you need. Yep. 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 Well, we're, we're reaching the end of our time uh, together, Dustin, and that, that always happens when you and I get rolling. We could talk about this stuff for hours. <laughs> 
I just love it because I knew when I read this and I mentioned at the beginning, I kind of bristled. I knew we'd have a great conversation about it because I think we're saying the same things. If you look at the prediction I, I made or one of the predictions I made and, and this prediction, we're saying the same thing. The role is changing. It's it's changing at an accelerating pace and you have to keep up with uh, a mindset and action. So what is an action that our listeners can take today because they listen to our conversation? What should they go out and do differently? Well, I would say the first one I would encourage technology leaders to do is adopt that mindset that you are part of the business. You're not in service to the business and start keeping score and publish your score. We, you and I talked about this before yeah. and I forget which podcast it was we did, but we talked about keeping score and making that very public. Yep. Um, again, that, that takes a lot of courage to do that. But I think that organizations that do that, if you look at it, they, they rank higher on Glassdoor as the place people want to work. They have a way easier time attracting and retaining talent. Plus, their work product has higher quality, and they generally get a better net promoter score. So um, I think keeping you know adopting the mindset that you are part of the business, not in service of the business, but you are part of the business, um, your outcomes should drive measurable outcomes and track and keep keep score and make it public. Yeah. That, that would be the thing I would encourage people to do if they're not already doing it. I love that. I think that's something that is actual. Someone, someone could start doing that shift today. And that's, that's what we love to do here on status go is get people thinking, get people changing the way they're looking at their roles in their organizations. Dustin, I can't thank you enough for carving out time. I know at the time we're recording this, you're you're buried getting ready for a sales kickoff for 2022. We appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat with us today. Well, it's important stuff, and this this conversation feeds very nicely and in, in, as a as a dovetail to our first podcast about people first. Mm -hmm. And so, I think that um, I would say this this is an important message for people to hear and. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to have the conversation with me and, and I look forward to our next conversation. Absolutely. And, and that's a, that's a great lead in to, uh, to the close. So uh, as listeners, if you have questions or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. And I encourage you after you've listened to this episode to go listen to that people first episode that Dustin did uh, last year. We'll make sure that we have links in the show notes so that you can jump right to it. For Dustin Milberg, this is Jeff Tun. Thank you so very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.